Okay, we're working through a series for the summertime. It has to do with the appearances of God. We've done two so far. Moses on the mountain as he uh, goes up into the fire and smoke and meets God on the mountain. And that was a rather incredible experience. And then we saw Isaiah last week taking a look at heaven, seeing what's going on there and uh, seeing the holiness of God as the seraphim fly over the throne. He gives us this beautiful picture of God wrapped in light and that light extending down to his people. Now we come to a vision that's very different and it's by somebody you've probably never heard of before and a prophet by the name of uh, Micaiah. Micaiah. And you say, who's he? Good question. <laughs> he saw God too. And one of the things you understand about the Bible is some prophets you hear an awful lot of, look at Isaiah, you got 66 chapters that Isaiah wrote. And we say, well, he's got to be the best prophet. Not necessarily. Some prophets never wrote anything. And probably one of the highest rated, in God's opinion, prophets was Elijah. Elijah never wrote a book. He never wrote anything. All right? And so it's, when we're judging, well, who's this guy? Wasn't this one better than that one? You can't really say. I would say that the ones that said, I saw God, I'd say they're pretty high up. <laughs> and here's a guy, it's the only thing we know about him. It really is that he saw God and he had that experience that very few have had. He got to look at God. Now, what he sees is going to make you scratch your head. Right? You're going to say, well, gee, I don't know. I never dreamed it was going to go like that. When he looks up into heaven, he sees something going on there. And we're going to take a look at the vision first and then go back and see how it all applies to everything. Because it'd be very easy to get this, uh, well, you'll see, it'd be very easy to get a negative feeling when you look at this. And so we got to look pretty hard. So we're going to look at it first and see what I mean when I say a negative feeling, then we'll go on. So we're going to start with the vision, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter number 18. Like I said, Micaiah is hardly ever heard of. He walks in this chapter and then walks out and we never hear from him again. Doesn't mean he didn't do more things, but he was pretty powerful because he's one of those handful of men who in the history of the world said, I saw God. I looked up into heaven and saw God. And as we said, we don't know how that works, whether it's a vision that he gets to just see and God comes into his mind, whether God removes the spirit from the body, takes the spirit to heaven, or whether God takes the whole person. We don't know exactly how it goes. And the people who experienced it didn't know either. All they know is that it's so real that there's no question, right? so real. Do you ever have one of those dreams that's very, very real? And you wake up and think, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what was that? All right. Well, they're in the visions of God when these guys had visions. There's no question 
what's happening. All right, they have seen God. So let's take a look at this fella. His name is Micaiah. We're in Second Chronicles, chapter number eighteen, and I'm looking at verse number. 18. And here's Micaiah explaining what he saw when he got a chance to look up, up to heaven. So 2 Chronicles 18, verse 18. Again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. And once again we see the throne. No explanation of what it looks like. And, and God is sitting on that throne. He doesn't try to explain God because there's no words that could do that. And all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. Well, who's the host of heaven? Well, that would be angels of all kinds. There are many kinds that we know of. There are, are seraphim. There are cherubim. Uh, there are uh, ark. We call archangels. Uh, there are spirits, uh, there are uh, angels who watch over us, guardian angels, all right, all kinds of angels and spirits that God has created, different kinds of beings, and they are gathered all around God's throne. Let's talk business. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And so he's talking about, God's talking about the king of Israel. Now you know, as we've said many times before, that the kingdom of Israel divided into two parts. The southern part was called the kingdom of Judah, and that's where Jerusalem was. The northern part took the name Israel, all right, and their capital was a place called Samaria, and they uh, broke away and never had a good king. Politically, a couple of their kings were successful. Spiritually, they never they never had a good king after they broke away. And so God is talking to all these angels and spirits in heaven, and he said, I want King Ahab to die in battle. And he's going to go to this battle, and so we want him to die. And he says, who of you, angels, spirit, who of you can make sure that that happens? And one spoke saying after this manner, another saying after that manner. So various angels and spirits are volunteering. Can we try this? Can we try that? Let's do this. Verse 20. Then came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. So, did you get that? Hmm, there's one that would make you scratch your head. All right? So the Spirit comes out as God's asking for opinions and volunteers. And uh, the one Spirit comes out and he says, I will entice him or I'm going to uh, pull him in the direction that you want, which is we want him to die in battle. So uh, I'm going to pull him in that direction. I'm going to do it by being a lying spirit. 
and he's got prophets and I will go down and I'll fill their minds with lies and that's how we'll get him. Does that sound like God? <laughs> There's a question for you. Does that sound like God? That sound like God? I condone your plan. Matter of fact, I give it approval. Go ahead and be a liar down there and get the lying going because that's, that's, I think, will work the best. This is a pretty interesting vision, okay? Find out what they're doing up in heaven. They're talking about sending one of the spirits there and gets God's approval to do so, to go down and uh, create lying atmosphere and Ahab will follow the lie. All right? So, does that give you any kind of question that something might be wrong there? God, does God embrace sin? Does God embrace sin? Does he condone it? Does he say, yeah, let's, let's use lying and accomplish what we want to? Uh, that's a pretty interesting comment. Right, that the spirits are there wanting to do God's will. It, it clarifies something for us, and that's this, that God sends spirits and angels and whoever he wants to down here to do things and to do his will among people. All right? We can see that quite often in the Bible. Of course, Mary, right? We think of Mary. Angel comes, says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have Jesus. All right? And she talks to an angel, sends an angel down. And it happens here and there throughout the Bible. But here is a look into heaven. And God's holding a conference, if you will. And God says, yeah, you, you that spirit, whoever he was, he says, you're the one. You go down and make them lie, all right? And so it looks like when we read it, and it seems, well, that's pretty clear. Uh, that sounds like God says, go ahead and lie. You have my approval. Let's make it happen. And you could read that that way and say, gee, it's pretty clear. Well, it's not so clear as all that. All right, well, let's get to the bottom of it uh, and see what's going on. We have two kings. We have the king of Judah here. He's down in the southern part. His name is uh, Jehoshaphat. His name is Jehoshaphat. All right, I don't usually hear people name their kids that. <laughs> Jehoshaphat. When I said that once when I was teaching kids and they laughed and laughed. What kind of a name is that? Well, it's a good name uh, for a man to be because you'll see who he is. And in Israel at the same time as the king, his name is Ahab. All right, so let's see what's going on with these two people. We'll start with chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, back a page or so. And we're going to look at first Jehoshaphat. He does play a role in this story. All right, let's see who he is and what he's like. Chapter 17 of Second Chronicles. 
And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead, strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah, the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. But sought to the Lord God of his father, walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. All right, up in Israel, they worshiped whatever they felt like. They worshiped golden calves. They did a lot of Baal worship. Now down here, when Jehoshaphat takes over, no, none of that here. All right, verse 6. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. So wherever he found, up on the hill somewhere where people had their own little Baal worship set up, uh, he got rid of those. He's doing well. Verse 7. In the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to ben and Obadiah and Zechariah, and Nathaniel and to Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah, not to say Micaiah. And with them he sent Levites, even Shemaiah, and there's a lot of names here, all right, Nathaniah and Zebediah and Asahel and Shemaramoth, and okay, we got it. Let's go down. And these are priests, verse 9. And they taught in Judah, and they had the book of the law of the Lord with them, went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So uh, Jehoshaphat sends priests, you go everywhere, take the Bible with you, teach it in every city down here in Judah. Verse 10, And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands which were round about Judah, so they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute silver. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 he goats. And Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly, and he built in Judah castles and cities of store. And so he's doing very well. Matter of fact, if you were to look on a list of all the other kings of Judah, he's almost on the top. I mean, he's almost on the top of the list. David, of course, is the one that was the great king. Of, and they said, he's just like David. He behaves like David. He thinks like David. So he's way up on the top of the list of the kings who ruled in Judah. He's teaching God throughout the nation. He's really, really doing well. All right? He's doing very well. Now, chapter 18... Let's start at verse 1, see what else he did. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Or that is, he formed an alliance, if you will, with the king of Israel, Ahab. All right? And so there's an alliance between the two of them, Ahab, the northern kingdom, and Jehoshaphat on the southern kingdom. <clears throat> Verse 2. After certain years he went down to Ahab to Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance for the people he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. 
Now that rings a little bell, right? What did God say? I'm going to make sure Ahab dies in Ramoth Gilead. Right? Now, we see beforehand, before that happened, uh, Jehoshaphat, a very good king, makes an alliance with Ahab, and when he goes to visit, Ahab says, hey, look, we're friends. I want you to come with me. We need to go take care of these people in Ramoth Gilead. Will you go with me? Verse 3, Ahab, the king of Israel, said to him, Jehoshaphat of Judah, will thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, as I am, thou art, as my people, as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. And so there's an agreement between the two kings. They're going to fight at Ramoth Gilead. They're going to battle with uh, Ramoth Gilead, and uh, they're going together. Now, what we know, because we sneaked ahead, we looked ahead, right? Well, God said, we're going to make sure Ahab dies there. However, we got to do it, let's get it done. Now, we got one side of the story. Jehoshaphat. Now we're going to look at the other side, who is Ahab, and see what he is. We've got to go back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 16. 1 Kings chapter number 16. Let's find out who Ahab is. 1 Kings 16, I'm looking at verse number 29. 1 Kings 16, 29. In the 30th eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, when Jeroboam's sin was he made golden calves. And he told people, you don't need to go worship God, just worship our calves. Which that was, of course, a bad thing. But he said, that's no big deal when it comes to Ahab. He took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, that is a grove of trees, where you would sacrifice to Baal. What would you sacrifice? One of the things? Babies. Sacrifice babies to Baal. All right. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. All right. Now we got a guy, Ahab. He's on the bottom of the list. Of all the kings, he said, so far that had led Israel or Judah, he's the worst one. He's a bad apple. And he marries someone who's a queen named Jezebel. 
Uh, and he marries her, and she says, we're going to have Baal worship. And so, okay, let's have Baal worship. We will, for sure, we'll have Baal worship. And so he builds in Samaria, which is his capital city, a special worship place for Baal. And up on the mountain, there's a grove of trees there, and he creates the place of sacrifice to Baal up there. And so in the temple, there would be prostitutes, okay? And uh, babies sacrificed on the hills. Uh, it's, a, it's a very evil way that he has chosen. So we got one of the very best, Jehoshaphat, and not one of the worst, but the worst. All right, he's on the bottom. He's the worst one, and that's Ahab. These two kings have got together and made an alliance. Now, I want to explain what happens next uh, because it would take a long time to read it, so I'm going to explain it. So Ahab is now king in Samaria. And one day this wild looking character comes walking into the palace where Ahab is. And he says to Ahab, I got a message for you. He said, it's not going to rain again till I say so. And he turns around and walks out. Everybody, <laughs> who's the wild man? Who's that? Well, we know it was Elijah. And Elijah wore skins and looked like a rough character. And he said he was a big hairy man. And he came down out of the mountains where he came from, walked into Ahab, says, not going to rain till I say so goodbye, and disappeared. And they, there's a big, <laughs> another one of these kooks, came in, told us it's not going to rain. Imagine like he's got power. Well, for a year, it didn't rain. And everybody said, oh, it can't be him. Two years, it didn't rain. Now they're starting to scratch their head. Who was that guy? Where did he go? Three years now, it hasn't rained, and everything is dying everywhere. Plant life is dying. They can't grow anything to eat. It's a, it's a drought everywhere. And now the word is, I'll find that guy. Where is he? Find him, Ahab. I want him. Get a hold of him. Get him back here. Well, they can't find him. Now, we know that he went up on the mountains and lived by a brook till the brook went dry. And then he actually crossed the border into another place where it was also famine. But there was a woman who had just enough bread left to feed her and her son. And Elijah said, will you make me a cake? He said, I only got enough for us. He said, will you make it for me? And she said, well, okay. And he said, your cruise of oil and your meal will never fail until it rains. And she fed him every day and her son every day out of a, out of a barrel that never went empty because Elijah was there. And then Elijah walks back to Ahab and comes walking in. <laughs> they actually, somebody found him as he's coming towards the place. And he said, they're looking everywhere for you. I'm here. He says, I'm going up on the top of the mountain. We're going to deal with the issue, shall we? Tell Ahab I'll be up there. So they go up on the mountain, and Elijah announces a contest. Here's a contest. 
uh, the prophets of Baal, and there's 400 of them. Right? And so when Ahab builds the castle uh, and the place for temple for Baal, he's got 400 what he called prophets of Baal. These are the fellows who lead the worship of Baal. 400 of them. And Ahab pays for their upkeep according to his wife's wishes. And so there's 400 of them. Elijah says, meet me on the mountain. So they get up there and say, we're going to have a contest. And we're going to make a sacrifice here. Lay the animals on. And whoever can call down fire from heaven wins. And he turns to the people who are gathered there because he was, over three years, he became the most searched for person in the whole place. Everybody wanted to know where he went. And so uh, they said, uh, well, what do you think? And, and Elijah says, all right, we'll have a contest. If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, go ahead and worship him. But we're going to have a contest to prove it. So he says, you guys get to go first. So the Bible says that these 400 prophets of Baal uh, built an altar with stones and laid firewood all under it. And then they took the animals and sacrificed them and laid them on the top. And now all they got to have is fire. So they're hooting and they're hollering and they're screaming and they're crying. And then they cut themselves with knives. They actually cut themselves so they'll bleed. And they're hollering, come on, Baal, we need fire. <laughs> and Elijah's over there. This is a great story. Elijah says, hey, hey, uh, maybe he's sleeping. You've got to talk a little louder. So they get a little louder and screaming and jumping all over the altar. And actually what Elijah says, he might be on the toilet. Give him a chance. That's what Elijah actually said. All right. So he's poking the fun at him because they're going crazy. And all day long, they cut themselves and scream and holler, and there's nothing. All right? <clears throat> so Elijah says, my turn. And before I start, fellas, I need some water. And we pour it on top of everything. So they pour water on. That's not enough. Get more water. They pour more water, and they four times they pour water, everything, and now there's a ditch around it where they dug out that's all full of water. Everything is soaking, sopping wet. All right. Now, I don't know if you burn wood like I do, right? But you pour a lot of water on it, you're going to get it going, and not for a long time, okay? And then Elijah says to God, All right, we're ready. Let's go. And the fire comes down out of heaven from God at Elijah's request. And it said, not only did it burn the animals and burn the wood, it also burned the stones. That's a hot fire, okay? That's a fire that's really hot. And so <laughs> here comes this flame out of heaven. And the whole thing is burned up, and when they're done, the stones are even gone. And so Elijah says, I won, you lost. Turns to the people. He says, I'm going down to that little brook down there. I want those 400 prophets. Bring them to me. And they take the 400 prophets of Baal, and he kills all 400 of them there. 
says, you failed, you're God's faults. My God is true, been proved beyond any doubt. And Ahab is up there watching it. But not Jezebel. She didn't go to that party. All right, now we go over to Second, First Kings 19. First Kings 19. Verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do unto me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she says, I don't care what you did. I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. You got 24 hours to live. And Ahab, of course, that's his wife. He goes along with it. We know that Elijah ran off into the wilderness and disappeared, and they never saw him for a long time after that. But Ahab has totally ignored all of that. Now, let's go back to 2 Chronicles. Pick up the story where we left off. 2 Chronicles 18. So, what have we got? You got one of the best kings ever, Jehoshaphat, out of the nation of Judah, the southern nation. We got the worst one ever, Ahab, up in the north. All right. And these two men have formed an alliance. And now they're agreeing to go to Ramoth Gilead. Except for Jehoshaphat has a question. Now, I got to tell you, I think this is hilarious. I think, I think it's one of the uh, most uh, amusing passages in the Bible. Some of the Bible is never meant to be a funny book. But some of it is just really funny. Jonah. It's a funny story. You know, God says, I killed your gourd. What do you think about that? I'm really mad about that gourd. (laughs) It's funny, you know. Uh, Zacchaeus, he climbs up in a tree. And Jesus comes in. Come on, get down out of there. These are are funny, amusing stories. Well, this one is hilarious. I think it's just hilarious. So we got these two kings sitting together. And... Uh, Ahab said, go with me to Ramoth Gilead. All right, verse 4 of Second Chronicles 18. Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. So he said, well, let's ask God if we should go fight at Ramoth Gilead. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of the prophets 400 men. Uh-oh, what happened? I thought 400 of them got killed. They did. And what did Ahab do? Just got him 400 more. So I need 400 prophets. I got, come on, how about you? Well, yeah, you're good. Come on. So he's got 400 prophets. These are prophets of Baal. And so <clears throat> Jehoshaphat says, let's ask God. He says, I, I got some prophets. I'll get them. Verse 5, the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, 400 men, said unto them, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. 
But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? So these 400 guys, they're running around, they're hollering and yelling, and they're saying, go, 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 you can do it, let's go. And Jehoshaphat says, they don't sound like any of God's men. Haven't you got a prophet from God? These guys aren't God's prophets. Yeah, he says, so here's the answer, verse 7. King of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. And the same as Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Don't say that. Get the guy over here. He's a prophet of the Lord. Let's talk to him. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either one of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in a void place, the entering of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And that's all 400 of them, all right? And they're sitting in the gate. That's the place of business. And they're all running around. Verse 10, And Zedekiah, the son of Shenaniah, had made him horns of iron, and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these thou shalt push Syria until they are consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramagilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. So this Zedekiah, he really gets into it, all right? He makes him a set of horns out of iron. He said, look at these horns. We're going to push Syria right off the map. Look at these horns. We can't lose. And he's shaking his horns in the air. He said, come on, let's go. Verse 12. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophet declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs, and speak thou good. So he's going to get Micaiah. He said, Look, everybody's all on the same side. Don't be an oddball. Agree with them. Verse 13. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. I'm going to say what God said. 14. And when he was come to the king, king said unto Micaiah, So we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, Go ye up and prosper, for they shall be delivered into your hand. Now, he had to say that in a certain way. <laughs> All right, so here he comes. He's already said, I hate the guy. He's always doing something against me. And so he comes, all right, let's have your opinion. Should I go up? He says, yeah, go up right away and it'll be fine. Just like that. What do you mean? I can tell by your tone of voice, you don't mean what you say. All right? 15. King said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? I want you to tell me the truth. All right, so tell me the truth. Here we go. And he said, I did see all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return therefore every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee he would not prophesy good unto me, but evil? All right. I told you. I knew he would say something bad. 
And now he says, Israel he sees with no shepherd and I'm their shepherd. So he's trying to say something bad about me, just like I said he would. Now we have the vision, 18. Again he said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying, Another after this man, another after that man. And then we have, There came out a spirit, stood before the Lord, said, I will entice him. And the Lord said, Wherewith? He said, I will go out, be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, thou shalt also prevail. Go up, out, and do even do so. Now, Therefore, behold, says Micaiah, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of thy, these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. All right, so now we look at that vision a little differently. A little differently because we know something about Ahab. But remember, he's got the guy with the horns. Verse 23. Zedekiah, the son of Shananiah, came near and smote Micaiah on the cheek. He punched him in the face. Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? <laughs> he said, I got God on my side, and I didn't notice him leaving me to talk to you, Micaiah. And he holds up his big iron horn. He says, see? <laughs> and Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see the day when thou shalt go to the inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take ye Micaiah, carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison, feed him with the bread of affliction, with water of affliction, till I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou certainly return in peace, and hath not the Lord spoken by me, and he said, Hearken, all ye people. Or he turns to the people gathered there and says, Listen. What I say, and they hauled him off, put him in prison. All right, now let's back up and think about this a little bit. All right, God said, You're going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets down there. And so go ahead, and that will work. All right, but what else did God do? Well, God said, go ahead, Micaiah. I'm going to show you what happened in heaven. I want you to tell what you see to Ahab. Right. So he goes to Ahab and he says, uh, these guys are all lying. They're under the possession of a lying spirit. And where would that come from? Satan. Satan. Remember, Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. All right? And so there's a spirit that's in all these men. And he says, uh, uh, so that's who you're going to listen to. But if you would listen to me, it would save your life. But uh, I'm just telling you what God said. So did God... Lie to him? God said, you go up there, you're going to die. 
and said, I sent my man, and you didn't want him to say it, but he said it. And he said, here, he said, is what's going to happen. You're going to die. Israel's going to have no shepherd, no king. And you're going to be convinced by 400 lying men. All right. So, does it sound harsh on God's side when he said, go ahead, lie to him? Think back just a little bit. All right. Think back just a little bit. What happened? He was eyewitness of Elijah calling down fire from heaven that was so hot it burned the stones. He was eyewitness. He stood there and watched it. And he watched his 400 prophets fail completely. And Elijah single-handedly went after they soaked the whole thing, called down fire from heaven. Elijah killed all 400 prophets and said, there's the end of that. Oh, no, it's not. And he got himself 400 more. So how much proof do you need that God is real? How much proof is necessary before you accept and believe that God is real, that God can do what he says he's going to do? How much proof is necessary? Now, this is kind of chilling. Second Thessalonians in the New Testament. All the T's are together in the back. We've got Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, and what we're about to read here is kind of chilling, kind of chilling. And what he's explaining is the second coming of Christ. Apostle Paul is explaining what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. In chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit and by word nor by letter from any of us, as the day of Christ is at hand. All right, so he's telling us, I'm telling you this about the end of time. And I don't want you to be shaken and scared by it. I want you to understand it ahead of time. And I want you to get it. All right. So verse 7. <clears throat> the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. Or in other words, evil is going to step up and take action at the end of time. And there's something that's holding back evil. And what it is, is the Holy Spirit of God working in the world. So the Holy Spirit restrains evil, stops evil, controls it when it goes out of force. But he said, eventually, that spirit that restrains evil, as we get to the end, will be pulled back. And he, he says he's stopping it now, but he's going to pull away and let it go crazy. He's going to let evil run its 
its uh, full course as we get to the end of the time. Here we go, verse 8. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, even destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and what? Lying wonders. So he calls Satan at the, as the end of time Antichrist as a liar. Verse 10. Here we go. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So he said there's people at the end of time when evil runs rampant and goes crazy. He said they heard about Jesus. They had opportunity and they just didn't care. They just didn't care about it. They didn't love truth. They didn't care anything about it. So they said we're not going to believe that. Verse 11, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God draws a line and says, all right, you know, I've given you every opportunity, given you every opportunity, and I've shown you the truth. And so because you have treated it with such contempt, because you have ignored it, because you have uh, made comments against it, because you absolutely refuse to hear the truth, he said, then I'm going to allow you to be lied to, and you're going to believe lies. That's exactly what happened to Ahab. All right? God says to them, they're going to lie to you. And says, well... My guys, <laughs> my 400, they got the iron horns. They said, we can win, let's go. And God said, nope, this was your last chance. You had a chance. You were united with or had an alliance with the best guy we've had for years. And he said, can't we ask God? And your first comment was, ah, I got this guy, but I don't like what he says. I don't like what he says about me, so I don't want to hear it. And Josh says, come on, you got to ask him. And so he comes, asks him, and he gets told, they're going to lie to you and you're going to die. And so God said right out, plain as day, you are going to die. This is what they talked about in heaven. God himself said he's going to die at Ramoth Gilead. Let's make it happen. And he said, so we can lie to them, he says, he's not going to believe it anyway. He saw fire fall from heaven at the command of Elijah. You know, that's not all he saw. As he was coming off the mountain where Elijah called on fire from heaven, Elijah stopped and he said, look over the sea, pray, God, we need rain. And he sent his, his uh, servant, see anything? No, okay. Pray, God, we need rain. See anything? No. He does it six times in a row. See anything? No. Pray, God, we need rain. And he goes, uh, well, I, this time I see a cloud. How big is it? It's like a man's hand, not very big. He says, you tell Ahab there's a sound of abundance of rain. 
It's a cloud. Doesn't matter. God said, this is it. We're going to show him. We're going to show him one last time. And so not only did all the fire come from heaven and all his 400 prophets die, but before they got home, they almost got drowned. Ahab, he said, was driving his chariot down the mountain trying to get home before the rains overtook everything. It poured rain at the command of Elijah. That's God's man. And so he's rejected all of that. Got himself 400 more prophets. He's going to battle. He's been warned by God. They're liars. If you go, you'll die. And he says he believed the lie. And that's what's going to happen at the end of time. God's going to send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. All right, so at the end of time, people are going to say, oh, this, we've had all that God stuff and we're, we're way above that. We don't have to do those things. We don't have to do what the Bible says. Bible's not even worth reading. That's where we are pretty close right now. Verse 12, that they might all be damned who believed not the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God draws a line. There's a point where God says, I've given you every opportunity. I've given you absolutely undisputable truth for you to see. And he said, Ahab, I don't know. There's nothing I can do with you other than now you'll get what you asked for. You will believe a lie. All right. And so you say, well, what does God do? Well, God finally, as this Bible says, I will not always be patient with people. I'm not always going to be patient. There's a point where if you reject God, particularly when God is very clearly seen, easy to be seen. If you reject God at that point, then it's all right. I'm going to allow you to swallow the lie. And that's what Ahab does. And here we go back now, 2 Chronicles 18. And you think he threw Micaiah in jail and says, keep him there till I get back. Now, here's, watch what happens because you get the idea that old Ahab may not have felt real confident but he's defiant, all right? Verse 28 now, 2 Chronicles 18. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and will go to the battle, but thou put on thy robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went to the battle. Now I get a little... <laughs> He's a rat, man. He's a dirty rat. He says, look, uh, I'm just going to wear some old clothes. He says, but you need to go in all your glory and all your robes. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. Yeah. You get the idea Jehoshaphat's a little naive, maybe. Maybe a little. Okay, maybe a little. 
And let's see what happens. Verse 30. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots that were with him, saying, Fight ye not with small or great, save only the king of Israel. I want Ahab. Don't fight with the rest of them and waste your time. You find Ahab. Came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's the king of Israel. Therefore they compassed about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. So they get all around them, then they realize that can't be Ahab. Sure don't act like Ahab or look like Ahab. That's not the right guy. All right. 32. Came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, 